It'll never work, McGee. What do you mean, it'll never work? You claim that you can fix this radio set so it'll tune in programs that were broadcast years ago? I'm rewiring it so I can tune it to different years instead of different stations, you see. No, I don't. Well, look, Tootsie, according to the McGee theory of radio Dianetics, which I'm the guy that thought it up, I claim that when you hear a broadcast once, that ain't necessarily the end of it, you see. It don't just disappear. In other words, old radio programs never die. This is Frank Brzee inviting you to join me for the golden days of radio. Great moments from radio programs of the past headlining some of the world's most famous personalities. On this program, we are continuing our salute to radio station KFI in Los Angeles on the occasion of their 50th anniversary. Our host for this program is radio comedian Jim Jordan, better known as Fibber McGee. This is Jim Jordan, Fibber McGee, wishing KFI a happy 50th anniversary. You know, Molly's right. I did invent a radio that picks up the sounds from the past. As a matter of fact, today all radios tuned to KFI are receiving sounds from the golden days of radio. The Fibber McGee and Molly show was on the air every Tuesday at 6.30. Fibber McGee and Molly with Bill Thompson, Gail Gordon, Arthur Q. Bryan, Dick LeGrand, and me, Harlow Wilcox. The script is by Don Quinn and Phil Leslie. Music by the King's Men and Billy Mills Orchestra. In these days of mass production and bargain dress shops, lots of women have never learned how to sew a seam. Or so it would seem. But there's a gal at 79 Westville Vista who was brought up to see eye to eye with a needle and who always knows where the bodice is buried. Yes, it's Molly McGee of Fibber McGee and Molly. Hey, kiddo, what are you making? Hey, Tootsie, what goes with the throbbing bobbin? Hey. Speaking to me, dearie? Yeah. Let the sewing machine cool off for a minute. My gosh, I haven't heard a singer take so much abuse since Hope started ribbing Crosby. <laughs> what are you making? I'm making a new dress. Watch those patterns, dearie. Don't mess them up. I have them all laid out the way I want them. Oh, okay. If you change them around, I'm liable to wind up with a gownless evening strap with a drooping placket and five sleeves. <laughs> Look, Dreamboat, why do you have to stab your pretty little lunch hooks full of needle holes? The Bonton still sells dresses. I want to make a dress, dearie. Oh? Besides, at the Bonton, I'd have to wait for a fitting, and I need a new dress this afternoon. This afternoon? What for? Is the fleet in or something? <laughs> no, the new president is dropping Harry in. Harry Truman? I... Dropping in here? My gosh, we got to get the piano tuned. <laughs> is, uh, is Margaret coming, too? I never thought we'd no, be... No, no, no. Not President Truman. The new president of Our Ladies Club, Mrs. Armadale. Mrs. Armadale? Mm-hmm. Uh, now then, uh, will you do something for me? Sure. And I want you to go up in the attic and get, get my dress form. Your, uh, your dress form? Yes. I'm about ready to start fitting this dress. Well, the dress form is, well, it ain't in very good shape, kiddo. It's kind of chopped up. It's uh, full of holes. Coming all apart. My dress form? Yeah. What's wrong with it? Why should it be all chopped up? Well, you know that last rainy spell we had? Yeah. Well, I got kind of bored, see, so 
I thought I'd brush up on the old knife-throwing act I had in Vaudeville. <laughs> Me and Fred Nittany. McGee? Uh-huh. About that dress form. You say it's no good because you used it to practice your knife-throwing act? Yeah, gee, I'm sorry, baby. If I'd known you were Oh, that's going... all right, dearie. You'll do just as well. You're just about my height. Just about my height, and I can correct the measurements as I go along. You mean me? I gotta stand here and wear a dress while you... Hush! You demonstrated your knife-throwing. Now I'm going to show you my pin-throwing act. Yeah, but my gosh, Molly, what... Take off your coat and hold up your arms. Oh, for the gee. My wife, Marion, and I broke into radio about 1925. Wow. We were visiting my brother in Rogers Park, right outside of Chicago, and we heard a broadcast by some singers. I said, Marion and I could do a better job of singing than that. My brother bet me $10 that we couldn't, and the next day we went to the radio station and spoke to the engineer. And he said, if you can sing, go right ahead and sing. So we sang, and he asked us to come back. In those days, you walked right in off the street and went on the radio. They were glad to have you because talent was few and far between. So we started broadcasting there every day, and finally we got a commercial that was on once a week for which we were paid $10. I think the program lasted about five months, and we went into debt plenty during that time, but we were determined to stick to radio after we had had a taste of it. And a couple of years later, we were signed by station WENR. We did three shows a week there for $60 and played theater the other four days. From then on, things began to look up. In 1931, we became acquainted with a young discouraged cartoonist by the name of Don Quinn. And he had a feeling that he could write for radio. So he started to work with us, and he wrote a series entitled Smack Out. And Smack Out was heard five days a week on NBC and was heard here on KFI. I played the role of a grocery store proprietor by the name of Luke Gray. He'd tell tall tales to anyone that would listen and come into the store. No matter what they wanted to buy, he was always smack out of everything. In 1935, the Johnson Wax Company were looking for a new program. They listened to us almost every day for six months. And they didn't want to tell NBC that they were interested in us. They just said that they would like to hear, they'd like to have some auditions of what did NBC have to present. And over a period of weeks, they listened to 20 auditions, but they didn't listen to us because NBC did not present us. This was a nighttime show they wanted, and we were daytime radio. So finally, we went over in another building, way over on the other side of town from NBC, and did this, and did an audition, which we had prepared. We did this audition for the Johnson Wax people, and they bought us. So then we went back and told NBC. The program originated in Chicago, 
for four years, and then in 1939 we moved to Hollywood, and from then on we broadcast from the NBC studio, Sunset and Vine. Anytime you pass 79 Wistful Vista and hear the windows rattling slightly and a low, nasty murmur coming out under the door, you'll know the squire has received his monthly bank statement. And here he is, rapidly losing his equilibrium while trying to find his balance, while his wife does her best to drown him out. As we meet, Fibber McGee and Molly. Dirty, double-crossing, pocket-picking book jugglers. You know what that Fourth National Bank done to me this month, Molly? I can't imagine, dearie. They figured my balance exactly the same as I figured it. Now I don't know where I am. <laughs> I got nothing to go on. I have a notion to... Hey! Hey, can't you do that a little quieter, Molly? I'm sorry, dearie. I'm trying very hard to concentrate on this statement, and that noise is very distracting. Very. Well, if your figures agree with the banks, what is there to concentrate on? Aha, uh -huh, that's just the point. Anytime they agree with me, they gotta be wrong. <laughs> they know darn well that I... Hey, what are you doing with my wood-burning outfit? <laughs> is that what this is? Why, certainly that's what this is. Don't you remember that spool rack I made for you with all the design I burned onto it with that? You said that was the prettiest spool rack with that particular design onto it you ever saw. Oh, yes, of course. Mm -hmm. Well, as long as I was cleaning out the hall closet, I merely thought I'd put things away. Now, I'll be very careful with stuff like my wood-burning outfit. One of these days, that fat will come back and... You're what? I'm cleaning out the hall closet. Ooh. Mrs. Carstairs is coming for tea this afternoon. I don't want her to wind up under an avalanche of moose heads, mandolins, and fish poles. <laughs> hey, now, wait a minute, kiddo. If anybody's going to clean out that closet, it'll be me. I got a lot of valuable stuff in there. <laughs> By the way, what'd you do with my stamp collection? Heavenly days, did you have a stamp collection in there? Did I have a stamp collection in there, she said. She said that. <laughs> Didn't you see a little celluloid envelope with a three-cent stamp in it that the cancellation was upside down onto it? You had a collection of one three-cent stamp? Well, it was the nucleum of a collection. <laughs> guy's got to start someplace. You better let me clean out that closet, Molly. Ladies and gentlemen, the American Forces Radio and Television Service proudly presents the Retirement 2, yes, third. So, Manny, after 30 years in the Army, you're really going to retire. You bet. I'm eligible for 75% of my active base pay. There's a chance I'll get Social Security, and I'll enjoy all the other benefits of retiring. And there's my research. Wait, what are you doing research on? Sleep. You know that as a retired serviceman, you and your family are entitled to civilian health care under Champus. Yeah, but I'm going to do all my research at home. What are you looking for in your research? The correct amount of sleep. And I think I know the answer. What is the correct amount of sleep, oh, soon-to-be-retired friend? Five minutes more. Retirement pay, government-paid health care, and five minutes more sleep. Just a few of the benefits of retirement from the armed forces. Find out about all the benefits from your personnel officer. Yes, sir. Marion originated the character of Teenie, the little girl next door. No matter what, Teenie always seemed to get the best of Fibber. Come in. Hi, mister. Ah, there, my dear. Do come in and sit down. Well, I was... Hmm? I said, do come in and sit down. After all, I may be gone a long time. 
and I should like to have only the pleasantest of memories of my little friends in Wistful Vista. Come, child, sit down. Okay, mister, I'll bite. What's the gimmick? There's <laughs> no gimmick, sis. I'm just in a sentimental mood, I guess. Mrs. McGee and I are going to Oregon. Oh. Huh? Hmm? What? Sure. Okay. <laughs> when you going, mister? When you? When you? When you? No, that's <laughs> This summer, sis. End of June sometime. Get there just about the time the salmon are going upstream to palm their young. <laughs> To pawn their young. Salmon do that, you know. That's biological in a kind of a fishy way. <laughs> you see, sis, when a mama salmon wants the stork to bring her some little <clears throat> salmons, she fights her way upstream. Uh, why? <laughs> I don't know. Just life, I guess. <clears throat> All mothers have a kind of a shad row to hoe. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> when they get upstream, they start pawning their young. Gee, do they, honor? That's what they tell me. Oh. Pawning with salmon refers to the fact that the young salmon are left as security for the old folks, you see. <laughs> In fact, the original pawn shop symbol, sis, was originally meant to indicate three golden fish balls <laughs> made of salmon. <laughs> <laughs> Look, mister, hmm? in the first place, the salmon run doesn't start in June. Hmm? It starts in February, usually, and lasts through spring. Yeah, but what Secondly, the... the older fish do not return to the spawning ground. Hmm? They usually die on the return trip to the sea. The young salmon, or par, live in fresh water a year or two, and then they go to sea as smoke. Yes, but what... In approximately another two years, they seek fresh water again, thus completing the cycle. Hmm? So save that blessed event stuff for people who believe in it. During the more than 10 years the program held the number one spot on the Hoover ratings, we introduced many characters that audiences from coast to coast look forward to hearing every Tuesday evening. There was Mayor Latrivia, played by Gail Gordon, Wallace Wimple, the henpecked husband, and the old-timer, and a few more were all played by Bill Thompson. Come in. Oh, it's the old-timer, McGee. Hello, Mr. Old-timer. Oh, hi, old-timer. Hello there, kids. Hey, what you doing with all the books, Johnny? Homework? <laughs> Working on a contract, old-timer, with the bank. Millions involved, and I may have to have it uh, notarized and get a notary public. Well, I can help you with that, Johnny. Yeah? I know the Republican, know the Republican work for him once. Would you mind repeating that again? Slowly. <laughs> I says, I knowed a Republican notary public, and I worked for him. <laughs> like to hear about him, kids? No, thanks. No, I, I got no time. Oh, you talked me into it, kids. <laughs> well, sir, besides being my cousin, Chet was a very interesting fella. Yeah? He was in the coal and ice business, see? But they had a coal shortage, so he hung out a sign that said, Just Ice. Just Ice. Mm. Yep. And the very first day, he married seven people, sold nine dog licenses, and collected $12 in traffic fines before he figured out what happened. What happened? <laughs> then he just took the Just Ice sign, added of the piece to it, and really done business. <laughs> hey, wait a minute. You say he married seven people? How could he do that? Married couples come in even numbers. Two of the bridegrooms was half-brothers, Johnny. Oh. <laughs> 
Another character who delighted listeners on KFI and across the nation was Dr. Gamble, played by Arthur Q. Bryan. Well, this ain't getting my tree sprayed. Where'd you leave the tree, dearie? Out in front. I can attach the vacuum cleaner cord from the porch light. Now let me see if I get the porch... Come in. Oh, hello there, Dr. Gamble. Hello, Molly. How are you today, pantry paunch? <laughs> fine, Jumbo, fine. You out spreading a little Christmas cheer, telling your patients you're going to retire? Oh. <laughs> He's not going to retire for years yet, are you, Doctor? My dear, I will retire on that far distant day when I can write a personal check for $400 and not have the hired help at the Fourth National Bank burst into hysterical laughter. <laughs> Why, go on, you old miser. You got that much buried under a loose brick in the fireplace right now. Trouble with you is you got more affection for a dollar than my wife has for a pound of butter. And that's the love match of the year, Fatso. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, you have no right to say that, though, McGee. Dr. Gamble does more private charity work than anybody in town. Certainly. I'm a very noble character. When I walk down the street, flowers spring into bloom. Birds burst into song, and taxi cabs honk twice before they try to kill me. Well, I've got to run along now. This is my busy season, you know. I suppose the children keep you pretty busy around Christmas time, Doctor, huh? No, it's the so-called grown-ups, my dear. Huh? This is the silly season, when 200-pound men start climbing 49-cent stepladders to wire dime store angels to the tops of $3 Christmas trees and wind up in a $500 plastic cast. <laughs> Pennywise and compound fracture foolish. Don't you want to stick around and watch me trim our Christmas tree, Doc? I'm painting it white. Well, you don't have to do that, skip wit. Huh? When I put my gift for you under it, it'll turn white. <laughs> of course, the announcer for all years the program was on the air was Harlow Wilcox. Oh, hello there, Fibber. Where are you bound? I'm looking for a bookstore or a stationery store, Harpo. Our bill's been too high, and I've got to get some books and make out a budget. Oh, say, that's a fine idea. I have a budget myself. Oh, you have? You got it with you? Sure, right here. Take a look at it. Oh, that's very interesting. What's this item here? Entertainment, 20 cents. Gee, that must have been quite a fling. <laughs> well, it was. The 20 cents was for car fare out to the Better Housekeeping Institute. Oh, so that's your idea of entertainment, the Better Housekeeping Institute. Is that the only toot you could think of? <laughs> Listen, I have a swell time out there. Here it comes, folks. <laughs> Whenever I show them how easy it is to use Johnson's self-polishing glow coat, and particularly how they can save money right now by stocking up with those special giant-sized cans with the extra third free. Why, nothing's too good for me. Why, they make me fudge or panucci or taffy apple or something. You can see how much that saves on meals in my budget. Yeah, that's great. Well, why didn't you hide in the oven till morning so you could get your breakfast free, too? <laughs> well, I tried that a couple of times, but somebody always comes along and sticks a fork in me to see if I'm done. <laughs> Well, watch that budget, Fibber. Remember, the close-fisted guy of today is the open-handed guy of tomorrow. So long, pal. Some of the other players included Cliff Arquette, Shirley Mitchell, Hugh Studebaker, Hal Perry as Throckmorton P. Gildersleeve, and Marlon Hurt as our maid, Beulah. Incidentally, I think Beulah's fixing trout for dinner. Oh, boy, trout. That's for me. How's Beulah fixing it? I'll see. Oh, Beulah! Somebody in here yipping for Beulah? <laughs> How are you fixing the trout for dinner, Beulah? Broiled with sketch butter. Mm. Sketch butter? Yes, and butter's too scarce to draw. I just thought I got a sketch in. <laughs> got some news for you, Beulah. We're thinking seriously of going to Portland, Oregon this summer. Will you miss us? No, sir. What? You won't? No, ma'am. I'm going with you. Ah, <laughs> great, Beulah, great. 
Uh, what did your boyfriend say to that? Who, Waldemar? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I was going to teach him a lesson, sir. Yeah, you know, we had a little set to the other night. Uh-oh. A set to? What about, Bueller? Well, it's a big chair in my living room, and Waldemar said, come here, gal, and sit on my lap. Mm. I said, no, and he said, why not? And I said, boy, that chair won't sit, but boy, and he said, this chair set too easy. But it didn't, and I almost busted Waldemar's leg. <laughs> <laughs> I see. Waldemar had a crush on you, and you had a crash on him. Look at the man, I'm a crash on him. <laughs> Love that man. <laughs> well, uh, maybe a few months' absence will set Waldemar right, Bueller. I hope so, ma'am. You know what you see is the trouble with women? No, what? Trouble. <laughs> I guess one of the most famous sounds on radio was the opening of Fibber McGee's Closet. I don't think a week went by when we didn't get a couple of thousand requests. The strange thing about that closet, after several years of doing it, we, we, got, we were doing it so much because people wanted us to do it that we, finally we started doing it less and less and less. And the more we did not do it, the more we became identified with it. Till finally, in the last few years of the show, I'm sure we didn't do it over maybe two or three times a year. And today, anybody that mentions Fibber McGee to me, they'll say Fibber McGee, and then they'll mention that closet. I'll bet tonight would be a beautiful night for a sleigh ride, McGee. I know where I can get a sleigh. Farmer friend of mine out on Route 62, Mel Hess. His name is Mel of a Hess, but they call him Mel for short. <laughs> He'll rent us a sleigh. Well, I'll call old Mel then, huh? What's his number, dearie? I don't know. I got it wrote down in a little book here someplace. Oh, I know. It's right here in the hall closet. Oh, no, McGee, please. Not on Sunday. Don't you... Jim Jordan again, congratulating KFI on this 50th anniversary. I've enjoyed reminiscing with you and wish KFI another happy and successful 50 years. And as Molly and I used to always say, good night, good night all. Well, that wraps up this edition of the Golden Days of Radio. The commercial announcements heard on this program were for historical purposes only and are not an endorsement by the Department of Defense. This is Frank Brzee in Hollywood, California, inviting you to join me next week for more shows and personalities from Radio's Golden Days. This is the American Forces Radio and Television Service.